is Happiness Solved with Sandy Scarlatta. Today, I'm speaking with Londa Latimer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happiness Solved. Oh, gosh. The interview that I have today that I'll be sharing with you is with a good friend of mine, Londa Latimer. She is a single mother of three beautiful kids. And her story is just incredible, and it's so inspiring. So her eldest son, kind of like a son to me, he's my son's best friend, and he is just such a joy and a delight, and he stays here with us whenever, you know, Londa needs some help or whatever. And uh, I saw him recently, and my son wanted to have some kids over, and I have this rule during COVID that I'm like, nope. Nobody's coming in the house, you know, all these college kids are super spreaders. And so he was like, well, can we hang out in the garage? And I was like, sure. So I went out there to take a heater because it was a little cold. And I saw Isaiah and he's like, I want to give you a hug. And I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, well, I just tested negative. I'm like, yeah. And yet you're standing here with all these kids. So I let him give me a hug. And then I looked and I was like, you dyed your hair blonde. I'm like, you're trying to look like me. And, and he just has the cutest smile and he's got these dimples that are so cute. But anyway, it was great to see him, albeit for a very short, hot minute. So yeah, so I'm talking with Londa today and her youngest daughter ended up being a preemie. And the journey that she went through was absolutely just, I, I can't even imagine having to go through that. I only have one child. Thank God he was my miracle baby. But what Yolanda had to go through was just, I mean, when you listen to this story, it's, it's, it's just, I can't believe having to go through that. So we talked for such a long time that we're actually going to split this interview up into two parts. So this is the first part today, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited for this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just really excited about this. And I'm having a lot of fun. And uh, just thank you for joining me. And I really want to share your story because you, you've you had a really interesting uh, 2020. Probably it wasn't the 2020 you imagined in, in more no. ways than what for many of us, but but your story of what you went through. But But first, let's talk about Savannah and what that journey has been like with her. So with Savannah, um, of course, I found out I was pregnant with her back in like right before New Year's Eve in 2016, which was a little bit of a downer since I had already had plans for New Year's Eve. Um, and the beginning of the pregnancy was so-so. I, I say that because I was nauseous all the time. I never did like actually throw up, but I was really, really nauseous. And it was just like kind of hard for me. And you know how much I eat to like balance, not eat, not overeating and to keep to have eaten enough. So that was like a hard thing. So the pregnancy was pretty non-eventful until my 20 week scan, which is like the anatomy scan. And they measure your measure your to make sure that everything is everything's in order and everything was in order. But the next week, it was an evening, like right after work, and Isaiah and I were, who's my eldest son, you know very well. Yes. We're just watching some some old videos from Facebook. And I started feeling a little bit uncomfortable. So I was like, I'm just going to go lay down and take it, you know, just rest because I thought I had maybe done too much that day. So I, do, I went to sleep. The cramping subsided. 
But when I went to use the restroom, I saw some blood. So that was alarming. Not too alarming because I, I have had um, early bleeding before in pregnancy. So I wasn't too scared. But I thought that, you know, something I obviously needed to any bleeding, you need to, you know, get to oh. a healthcare professional. Absolutely. So I left a note for Isaiah and I got in the car, drove myself. Like, because I was like, again, I wasn't really alarmed. And I got into the triage and I was explaining to them my day and everything. And they didn't seem alarmed either. They were like, okay, well, we just think your baby's playing with you. We're going to put you on the belly monitor. And they were saying how strong her heartbeat was to be a 21 weeker because I was a little uh, like 21 weeks and two days. So they said, well, we're just, before we let you go, we're just going to check you really quick to see, you're going to check your cervix and see uh, what's going on there. And when um, the doctor checked my cervix, I was four centimeters dilated um, and immediately she said, you're going to lose the baby. The delivery is imminent and we're not going to be doing anything. We're not going to be able to do anything to save her. So oh my gosh. at that point, I was a little bit hysterical. I was crying, just sobbing. It was in the middle of the night and I might have been like four or five in the morning. And you're by yourself. So I was by myself. Yeah. And I was just like. A lot of things flashed before my eyes. Like, you know, this was, I had already found out that she was a girl. So I'd already obviously was, was very attached to that. And I, I have two boys. So I really, really wanted a girl. So I was dealing with that and just, just, you know, not knowing. I That's never been told to me before. So I just didn't know how to process it. I was really, really just out of sorts. And so... What they told me was that they were going to take me up to labor and delivery because, again, delivery was going to be imminent and I needed to be there where I could deliver. So when they took me upstairs, uh, the nurse, you know, she talked to me a little bit and then the doctor came in and he said his piece, you know, saying the same thing that, uh, you know, he checked me as well and was like, yeah, you're too far dilated at this early stage and you're too, too early for us to intervene The we don't even deem this pregnancy viable past, uh, before 22 weeks, which was hard for me to hear because I had, again, I was already attached to her and I could feel her moving and all of that. So of course, I mean, how, how could you even process it? Right. <laughs> I didn't see her as non-viable. Right. So I understand that was a medical term and all of that, but it just, it was hard and really, really harsh to hear as a mom. And it wasn't like it was on my first time mom. So I know what that means, you know? Mm -hmm. So the nurse came back in and she said, well, Miss Latimer, we think that the course of uh, action would be to administer Pitocin. And Pitocin is a drug, uh, those of you who don't know, that jump starts labor. It gets labor going. And I said, well, can I de decline that? Because you're telling me that you want me to jumpstart labor. I, she's not coming out on her own. So why would I jumpstart that? You know? So she says, yes, ma'am, you can decline it. So I did. And they said that they would allow me to stay in the bed and, and stay pregnant as long as I didn't get an infection. They explained to me that if I had gotten an infection because my service was open, that I was obviously open to infection and that um, if that were to happen, then they would have to take her anyway. So I just had to be, you know, fully understood that that would be the course of action if that were to take place. So a lot of what was going through my head, even when I had declined that, you know, directive from the, the, from the doctor was that 
I refused to give up on her. Like I had decided that I wasn't going to, if she wasn't in duress and she wasn't ready to come out, which I felt that that was what they were, you know, getting me, wanting me to accept that like it's, it's over and it's done. And I mean, might as well just accept it and let them, and let them just go ahead and get through, go through with it because, you know, the pregnancy is over with. And I just refused to accept that. So I did a lot of praying and the next morning they told me if I made it through the night that they were going to send me over to uh, Fairfax hospital. So I made it through the, the, that night and the nurse that I had the night before, she kissed me on my forehead. She said she normally doesn't kiss her patients, <laughs> but she kissed me on my forehead and she said, you know, I wish you the best. And I want to see that baby, you bring the baby back to me when you can, I want to see her. So, um, the EMTs that were taking me over to Fairfax, that was like a 45 minute drive. Right. And they were like, please don't have this baby in there. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, cause I guess they get like these, these wings that they're called wings that they ever deliver a baby, like in the ambulance. And they were like, we don't want to get our wings today. So <laughs> just hold on for us. I'm like, okay. They're like, they're, they're like, you're laughing, but we're serious. So we got there. They, they got me into triage over at Loudoun and I just had to sit and wait for the doctor to come in and give me his assessment because I, you know, they, each doctor has their, they get to do their own assessment. So the doctor that came in, he had like a, like a protege, like someone that was shadowing him. And, you know, they were, of course my legs were open and they were like, it just was weird because it was, if you were on the outside looking in, like my legs are open because they're trying, they're looking to see, and you should see their, their faces were all turned up and they were talking in, in their language, uh, wasn't English. And so, um, they were conferring amongst themselves. And then when he got done, he's like, because they were, the plan was to maybe put a surclage in, which is like a stitch to close up my cervix. But after they did their assessment, they said, no, you're not a good candidate for that. So we're going to, you're going to end up having this baby and there's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, of course I lost it again. And they said, it's a very, very slim chance that she will make it. And if she does, she's, she's going to be severely disabled. Oh my God. Is what the doctor told me. And he like leaned over me and he's like, did you understand what I said? She's going to be severely disabled. So I kind of took that as like, and obviously this was my interpretation being emotional uh, and all of that, but I took it as that he was like, well, you have a decision. You can just go ahead and not have this and go ahead and have the baby and not maybe take her to that through that her and my, or myself through, through anything that may, I may not have been ready for. And I could just have said, I just could have said, okay, well, I'm going to take your, I'm going to take your advice, your medical advice and go ahead and deliver without, with the help of medicine. But again, I declined. So they took me upstairs to their labor and delivery and I was scared. I was, didn't know what was going to happen. And I, again, I had already made the decision that I wasn't going to give up on her. So I was going to endure or go through whatever I had to go through to keep her, to get her here uh, safely. So, well, as much as I could. And the nurse that came in, uh, she started talking to me, you know, how they, when they, when they first come in, they tell you, you know, who they are and all of that. And I looked at her name tag and because let me just back up for a second. I had asked God for a sign. I said, just give me a sign that everything's going to be okay because I just need something to hold on to. I had my faith 
but I, I still wanted to see something like tangible so that I could say, okay, like I'm not, uh, this isn't just me in my own head that this is going to be okay. So when the nurse started talking to me, uh, I was looking at her name tag and her name was Comfort. And I was like, I just was like, there's my sign. Um, everything's going to be fine. (laughs) So she's like, we, you know, we have one other person we can ask for a favor. We're going to keep you pregnant as long as we can. So again, they had already, they were prepared for, for Savannah to come that night as well. So they wouldn't let me eat. And that was a problem, obviously. (laughs) They didn't let the, I hadn't eaten since breakfast at Loudon and I had been there all day and it was nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, I have to eat. Like she's not coming and I need to eat. So they had to wait to get the order signed off from my doctor to give me something to eat. And I think the nurse gave me like some chicken. It was the best chicken nuggets ever because I had, I felt like I just, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't even, I was like, I couldn't even chew fast enough to like, it was <laughs> terrible. I felt, I felt like this whole savage. So, but I made it through the next day and when the nurses, you know, they change over in the morning and the, when the nurses, the nurses came in and they, they did their change off is like, you know, explaining what my condition was, what my situation was. And then they were explaining to me that I was going to be on strict bed rest. I was not going to be allowed to get up. So I would do everything from that bed. I wasn't going to be able to go take a shower or anything. They were going to wash me up. I was going to use the restroom via bedpan and I was like okay <laughs> great <laughs> oh my gosh yeah because I'm like definitely not used to that so I got up my first time to use the bedpan and the nurse I felt a little bit of pressure but you know it wasn't anything that I felt alarmed and the nurse was she was in the bathroom and she saw me and she's like she saw I guess Savannah's head had came down and she could see it and she's like, oh my God, lay back down, lay back down. You know, she just started yelling and I was like, okay. So I laid back down, you know, everything started to be like a blur because it was like, they, they, they called for the other nurses. They called for the chaplain. They turned the bed on, you know, when you have the baby, they have to turn the bed on over there with the light. And, um, then the chaplain came and she started praying for me. And then the two nurses that had taken over for the, and they, they were shadowing, there was one that was shadowing the main nurse. And they started telling me that I was going to deliver and that she will come out and she'll seem like she's breathing on her own, but she won't be. And that she'll be allowed to be placed on my chest and she, you know, they'll allow me my time until she passes. They said it could be two hours. It could be five hours. However long it takes for her to pass, they would leave me with her by myself. How on earth could you even like hear something like that? I I can't even imagine. So I heard it and I didn't. It was kind of like, like I heard them talking and I was, I was very aware. Like I heard every word that they said, but I also think it was like, it was more of an adrenaline rush for them because I think they may have never seen anything like that before. So they were like regurgitating words that may, they maybe not should have said to me. But because it was like everything started happening so quickly, they kind of like, it was like, okay, this is the textbook thing that you say to a patient when this is happening. So I'm just going to regurgitate it. Because again, like I said, she was, someone was shadowing her. So right, I right. think it that was more sense. of a, yeah, it was because she was, it wasn't, there was no, bedside manner with that she just was kind of like running things down to me 
as to what was going to take place and asking me, you know, her name for her death certificate and all of that. It was like, and that's something you probably wouldn't want to do at that time as a nurse. No. Like you probably wouldn't want to do that. But I think, no. she, and I gave her grace because I think, she, and she was young. And yeah. so I think that she just was like, you know, I'm just going to say everything I'm, I'm, I was taught to say in this situation. Right. Right. That's what it sounds yeah, like. That's what, that's how yeah. I felt. So I didn't hold it against her. <laughs> <laughs> she was doing the best she could under the circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I had, after she got done, I asked to be placed back on the uh, belly monitor so that I could record her heartbeat on my phone. And they did that. And they said, well, we're not going to check you. We're going to wait for your doctor to check you, but she's in a meeting. And I'm like, she's in a meet? Like, you're kidding me, right? And they're like, no, she's in a meeting. So, you know, you're going to have to wait. No, she's supposed to be here with me because I'm her patient. <laughs> I'm like, you can't go get her out the meeting? Like, what? Are you people killing me? So I'm like, okay. And so um, it was 45 minutes. I had to wait 45 minutes. It was the longest 45 minutes I felt in life. And they gave her some sterile gloves to put on. There's some gloves I had never seen before. And she checked me, my cervix, and she's like, I feel nothing. I don't even feel your membranes. I feel nothing. And she was like, she just went back up, Savannah. And she said, you must have, you must have the strongest membranes I've ever. She's like, I don't even feel any thinness or anything. You're just, your cervix is just open. Savannah's like, I changed my mind. I'm a girl. I have that power. I have that right. I'm just going to change my mind. I could, I I think, I think, um, she, she must've, because she really was trying to go. I mean, she was like, okay, I'm coming. Just kidding. I'm coming. Just kidding. You know? So she did a a few fake outs, um, that gave us a lot of scares, especially her mama. But, uh, so you can, when she's a teenager, you can I know that's what everybody was telling me. Like, you, you, you know, you have so much to, you know, say to her <laughs> if she ever goes sideways. Do you know what I want to I know. Through? They're like, she does have no idea. She has absolutely no room for error at all, period. Um, but I know. Poor thing. I was like, dang, you know, and my mom, I, I put my mom through, through a tough labor too. I think she might've been in labor three. They let her be in labor too long before they did the C-section. And I ended up having to be in the NICU myself for like a week, I think, my mom said. But of course, that was back in the day. And they like did her C-section like up and down, you know, like straight down instead of the, the bikini cut. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how they did hers. Yeah, it's pretty. But anywho, I did. They did as I asked. I recorded her heartbeat and the doctor came in. She checked and everything was fine. So they're like, we're going to try to keep you pregnant as long as we can. The neonatologist came in and gave me a consult and he said, your goal is to make it until she's 22 weeks and six days. And at the time I was 22 weeks and one day, because when I went in, I was 21 and five. So 21 and two, and they were like, or 22 and one. And they said that she just needs, you need to make it like another week, basically. So I'm like, oh my God, I need to, like, I felt like the, the, just a week. And you know, that's, that's when you realize that every day actually counted. Like, when I hear, right. you know, women who are having a pretty uh, normal pregnancy, they're like, oh, you know, it's, I need to out. Like, it's, they're, I'm way overdue. You know what I mean? And I, being, going through that situation with Savannah, I would have loved to have been overdue, right? But it's the, it's the situation that it plays out because I, I had normal pregnancies prior to her. And so 
Yeah. Well, and when you have a normal pregnancy, right. you don't uh-huh. know what you don't uh-huh. know. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know. So I had to learn. It is what I it is. I had to learn. I mean, I had to go yeah. through the whole thing of, you know, people that I was, that were, we were, my friends that I were pregnant, we were pregnant together and kind of had the same like due date, feeling kind of jealous that they were like still in their pregnancy where I'm fighting to keep my baby. And none of them know that, right? Because I didn't share it. So that was hard. But well, the whole, the whole pregnancy thing in general is really hard because I mean, I remember trying for eight years to get pregnant. And it's the hardest thing to go through when you have it, when you're having infertility and you're mm-hmm. watching all of your friends around you and they're having babies and you're like, you just, you want yes. that so badly and it just yep. wasn't happening. So, and, and the same is mm-hmm. true for what you were going through. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's very hard, but you know what? We can't fault them because you want to mm-hmm. be happy for them that they're blessed with having a yeah. happy pregnancy, so it looks, right? It looks, it's a, it's a, it's definitely like a, it's a double-edged sword because it's like, okay, you know, I want, oh. I do want to support and I want to, you know, congratulate, I want, you know, I'm, I love seeing people's maternity shoots and stuff like that. But I'm, I had already had planned what mine was going to be like. And I had went on Pinterest and got ideas and inspiration because, you know, this was going to be like a huge thing. I, she's my, my, my first and only girl. And it was going to be such a big thing. And none of that got to right. happen. So yeah, and what all I was going to add to that was it doesn't take away from the pain right. that you're experiencing because for you that was so real and intense and mm-hmm. devastating what you had to go through and and you know it's it, it was real pretty, for you pretty real <laughs> yeah pretty yeah. real so I they you know they gave me the consult told me that I needed to make it to 22 weeks and six days. And once I made it to 22, six, 22 and 6, that they would give me this magnesium drip, which meant that I couldn't eat for 36 hours, which was another, like, <laughs> I couldn't lose. I'm like, 36? <laughs> they, yeah, they, the they only gave me ice chips. I'm <laughs> like, are you freaking kidding me? I have to eat just ice chips is all they gave me. So, yeah, I made it to 22 and 6, and then they gave me the... They gave me the magnesium drip, and they also gave me the shot, the beta methadone uh, shot, which is for the lungs. But she came like right after that, so it didn't get it didn't, it didn't get too much to it didn't get in my system long enough to kind of really do anything for her. But the little bit that it did get, I guess it helped. I don't know. <laughs> so the <laughs> night though that she came, it was. Uh, uh, they were doing like their regular where they come in every 20 minutes and check her, her heart rate and everything. And they were noticing that she was in distress and her heart rate was dipping. And so they're like, okay, this is, this is probably going to be it. She's going to, she's, you know, we're going to deliver. And I'm like, okay, great. I can just push. And they're like, no, she's breach. And we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me that I have to be cut for a one pound baby. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> After all that right. you've been through, you still had to have a C-section. But I never been cut before, yeah. and man, and it was like quick, you know, like they were like, "This is we gotta do this now." Um. So again, no one was there, and they're wheeling me off to the to the operating room, which I've never been in an operating room before, ever. And so I was a little bit, you know, scared about that. And it was very cold in there and everything was so stark and sterile and it's the things that you see on TV, right? 
And I'm right. like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone. But the one thing that I did find some humor in is that like once they were, they got the spinal tap in me and they laid me down and strapped my arms and stuff. And then this guy came in to shave me and I was like, it sounded like a lawnmower. And he was just like, all he's just like into it all by himself. He's like, you know, like he didn't even look at me or anything. And I was like, <laughs> you like, do you want to know my name or anything? Like he didn't even look my direction. And he was just like going into, I'm like, I don't know how much I had there, but I mean, you were really like making sure there's nothing there. <laughs> so I like, that was the funny part to me where I like, I was strapped down. I couldn't move and I was starting to be feel numb, but he, I, that was the funniest part that I, Real, that I can close my eyes and I can see him still like doing that because I could just hear the the motor on the razor. Well, you know, I think I've shared with you this before, but when my son was born, my doctor, um, he only delivered at Fairfax Hospital where you, where you mm-hmm. delivered uh, Savannah. And I was able to get a private birthing room and I was so excited because I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very modest person. And so I'm sitting there my legs are up in the stirrups. I'm ready to deliver Brandon. And I look over and there's a door there facing me, no curtain. And I'm like, anybody could walk up and look in <laughs> and see me like delivering my baby. I'm like, what about this situation is private? <laughs> and thank, thank God my parents were on their way. They showed up 10 minutes after he was born. I would have been mortified if my father walked in the room <gasps> And just saw that. Like, I, I could never, I, I don't know if I could have looked at him again. After I couldn't even breastfeed I know. my child that's in front a, of my father. Like, that's how modest that's I That's embarrassing. So, anyway. well, not, well, I guess, yeah, it is embarrassing. And, yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I'm just, I'm modest. I know there's a lot of younger women and, and I respect you, you know. More yeah, and they're like, uh, you know, me, so. you know, just out loud. I remember I was a teenager and my mother had gotten me the book um what's happening to my body book for girls and at that time I was really I was an avid book reader so I was like my nose always in a book I was always in my room reading and my dad would often like come and knock on door and come in like ask me what I was doing right so he came in the day and I had been it was it happened to be you know I was reading that and he was like what are you doing I was like well I'm reading what's happening to my body a book for girls and he just like stood there for <laughs> He's like, okay, well, uh, dinner's going to be ready soon. uh, Yeah. He was like, dinner's going to be ready soon. (laughs) (laughs) And at first I wasn't going to tell him, but I was like, I mean, he could see it in my hand. But that was the one one awkward, like, thing that I felt with with him was like, he's like, "Uh, okay, well, dinner's going to be ready soon. And then he, like, walked out and shut the door back. (laughs) So, but yeah, so... um, I, they had Savannah or they took Savannah from me and I, well, obviously everything was such a a rush, but had I known that I could have had someone take a picture, um, for me when they took her out, so I could have seen that since I was all the way out, I wasn't even, you know, they took, they put me all the way out. So when I came to, I just, I felt a lot of tugging. Like they were like, they were, you know, like was tug of war going on down there and they were telling me to look over to my left. The neonatologist, she said, Miss Latimer, I have your baby and I'm going to take her down to the NICU. He looked over and I looked over and I just saw this, t- like, I didn't even see her body. I just saw like this pink bonnet thing on her head, you know, the little knitted thing. And that's it. Cause like, that's really, it was bigger than her body anyway. Aww. Cause the, her head was, big, was the biggest thing on her body in the, in the first place. So what was, so. what was her weight and her like length? 
She was one pound, 3.9 ounces, and she was 11 and a half inches long. Wow. I mean, that's actually yeah. actually kind of long for only Yeah, she, was, she still is long, actually. Her, yeah. her torso is super long. Like, she's going to be tall. Like, she's going to be tall. She's almost as tall as Azariah now, and he's going to be nine. Wow. So she's going to be tall. I mean, her dad is 6'2", and her other brother is 6'6", six, six, so she they, there's some height on her father's side. Her so father's definitely side. she may wow. be a an Amazon. <laughs> awesome. Team Amazon. So, but yeah, so she, so I was like, yeah, she might be, you know, it could be in her favor, obviously, because a lot of, a lot of uh, models, they want them to be at least like 5'10", I think. Or, she is yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. So, so I think yeah. it might not be, it might not be a good thing for Isaiah because he doesn't want anybody to be taller than him. I'm like, well, what ship is going to have sailed, buddy? Yes, it will. So I know. Poor thing. He thinks of you know, he's like, we're going to be taller than me. I know. And I said, well, what if she's taller to both you and, uh, and uh, Azariah? You know, there's nothing else can do about it. So after I, they took me to the recovery and I remember them asking me about like, did I need more drugs? And I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, the, whatever the morphine was or whatever painkiller they were giving me, I was like, this isn't enough. I'm starting to feel pain. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause that stitch pain. hurts like yeah. hell. Yeah. It was, it That's was very yeah. painful because it's also, they have to cut through muscle. Right. And when you mm-hmm. cut through muscle on your, you know, in that area, just sitting up, like anything you do, you're using mm-hmm. those muscles in your core. Right. And you don't realize it, like right. cough, sneeze, any yep. of all of that. Yep. Laughing. So yeah, that was bad. All of that was, you know, all the things that you take for granted, like you just do because, in, you know, you don't, there's no, you don't, there's nothing to stop you or nothing. You don't feel any pain from it. But they took me to recovery. Then they put, brought me to my room and they said I could go see Savannah if I was able to stand up. And for whatever reason, I thought at like four o'clock in the morning was a good idea that I was like, I want to see my baby and I can stand up. But I hadn't been on my feet for over a week. So that was a bad idea. Now, did your muscles go through any atrophy? Had they started Um, to go through atrophy No, because they gave me these, no, they gave, they put these blood, blood pressure cuffs on my legs. So it was just the, like me not using them, but my blood, the circulation, everything was fine because they had those cuffs on my legs. It just, I just hadn't, I hadn't bared any weight on them. So definitely wasn't prepared to stand on my own. I couldn't even walk to the bathroom. Like I needed an escort to go to the back, like to, for them to walk me to the bathroom. And they're like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. You need to go back to sleep. So they had to like call in some other nurses. Cause I was really adamant. Like I was like adamant that I was going to be able to do it. And I was not. So they had to give me, bring me back in the bed and then I slept s- some more. And then I think about like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning was when I was like, I, y'all have to take me to the baby like now. Cause I didn't even get to see her face, you know? Well, yeah. Cause your mother instincts are kicking in right. and you, you're like, where is my freaking baby? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you gotta wait. You know, as an, and literally I had some flashbacks of like those Lifetime movies where, that you wake up, you don't have your baby and someone's taking it. You know what I mean? Like, I know that it doesn't happen as much now, but it has happened a lot in, in, it in real life. Well, yeah. where people like it's, just, it's just the fear. You just need to see yeah. her and hold her and, or, well, I know you couldn't hold her, but yeah, just at least see her. Awful thing. Yeah. So I did get to, they brought me down and the doctor was talking to me, giving me like, you know, her, her stats and stuff, which totally was over my head. Cause I was like, I sh- I don't understand any of these things that you're telling me because I'm not used to having a baby that's half baked. Cause they're like, Oh, she looks great for a 23 weeker. And I'm like, she looks like jelly. 
um, an alien baby. Like she's, she, she did her, she was pink. Oh my God. She, her leg, her hands and everything looked like jelly. It looked like an alien, like alien. Like that's how she looked. Well, I mean, and newborn I babies like, in general, you know, she they, was, they, they don't look cute till they're like a week or so old. But, you know, but yeah, look, but she yeah. wasn't even that. Like she right. just was, you know, her eyes refused. She's like, like a, a bird, like a, when, ba- when they don't have any fur or anything on them when they're first like she just didn't have anything, you know. Um, and <laughs> she's they were listen to this when she's older. She's gonna be like, "Mom, <laughs> did you really say that about me when I was?" <laughs> she didn't. And I was, and they were. But the thing is, is like it was a contrast, right? They were like telling me how great she was doing, and explaining to me that this was gonna be a honeymoon phase where she seemed like she was gonna be doing great breathing on her own. But they're, she's probably gonna go backwards. And they're gonna have to put her on the conventional vent, which was gonna obviously damage her lungs because they were the the vent was gonna want to is going to you know expand in in uh her lungs without her doing it so that's obviously damaging because they weren't even they weren't even developed so obviously the machine the, the machine was making it do something that it wasn't even they weren't ready to do because the lungs don't even develop until the last trimester of pregnancy so they were t- you know, telling me how great she was doing i'm like i she didn't look great and like, i don't look great i don't even know what it what it means to say she looks good for a 23 weeker. I've never seen a 23 weeker before. So I just know she's not, she's not all the way baked. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I know. Like, I mean, I was like, what color is she? She doesn't even have, a, I don't, is she my baby? Like, I don't even know it's my baby because she's pink, you know? So anyway, that, that was that, that was that and there. And, you know, the hardest thing that for me was when they sat me down and explained to me, Miss Adamer, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. She's going to have some good days where she's doing really well. She's going to have some bad days where she goes backwards. And we're going to have to, you know, there's going to be a, ba- a lot of back and forth. But you're going to have to make some decisions. It's going to be risk over benefit type of thing, decisions that we as doctors, as well as you are going to have to make. And, you know, but we're here for you. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like this is like because she wasn't due until September. So they were telling me that she wouldn't come home until like around her, her due date. And this, she was born in May. So like there's some months there that, you know, that obviously had to, she had to develop because she, I watched her, you know, eyes open, they opened one at a time, which was eerie to see. Yeah. Yeah. To have one eye open and then the other one open the next, the other day, <laughs> there's two days between when your eyes open you know, like I literally watched her develop outside of my womb, which was really, really neat, even though it had its, you know, uh, the scariness and everything, the stress and all that that came with it. But I had never seen that before. So it was definitely an experience uh, watching her go through all the things she had, she had to have 16 blood transfusions. She was pricked every four hours for her blood gases and her sugar. And, you know, she was intubated for six weeks before they extubated her, but she was always on some sort of oxygen support. She had to have laser eye surgery. She was septic at one point. Just and she's it had was a lot, lot of surgeries of, too. Yeah, she's had she's she's had the laser eye surgery and she had the surgery this uh, in October of twenty no October of night of uh, twenty nineteen. My gosh, I'm forgetting that we're in twenty twenty one now. So October of twenty nineteen, she had surgery to take out her anoids and um, her tonsils and to put in ear tubes because she was having a lot of reoccurring ear infections. So right. they did, they did, they put those in there. Yeah. But she, to see her 
go through all of that. And I mean, I literally, they were poking, prodding her. And if, you know, they would needed to get a vein or need to draw blood. And then it, because when they're so little, the veins don't stay. So they may get an IV in and then the next day they won't be able to keep. So they have to go find another place. So sometimes they had to find on the forehead or wherever they could find a vein, which oh was my God. hard to watch. Yeah. Oh my God. So it just, it was, it was hard to watch. Um, you know, I didn't get to hold her until she was 29 days old. And even then she was very sickly when I was holding her. She had, she had IVs on both her hands at the time. Mm. And then they were telling me that she may, because she had been extubated where they took the, the breathing tube out, but then they had to put it back in because she failed like the first, the first round of trying to get her off of the, the conventional vent. And they, they put her, they re-intubated her and they were like, oh, you want to hear her cry? Because I'd never heard her cry. And they took the tube out and she didn't cry. And I just like lost it because... I thought that the tube, which it could have possibly done, I damaged her vocal cords because it could do that. So the um, Dr. Baker, God bless him, he's like, I'm gonna tell you the worst case scenario. It, she, we could, her, her, her vocal cords could have been damaged, but I honestly think that it is just that her airway is swollen, and then there's no air being able to pass through. You need air to be able to make a sound, and she's swollen, so there's no air being able to pass through. So he was just trying to give me both sides of the spectrum and we were praying for the best, but preparing for the worst. And they gave her a steroid that helps inflammation to go down. And a couple days later when the inflammation went down, then I could hear her voice it was really, really weak, but I could hear it, her cry. And I was like, it was like the best sound. Oh, yeah. It was like the, the best sound. Cause it had been so long. Like I didn't even hear, her, you know? <laughs> so but yeah, so she spent 120 days in the NICU. She came home three days after her due date. So she did really well for her gestation, being born at 23 weeks. Um, she came home, but she did come home on oxygen. And uh, we, I weaned her off like this. So she came home these, uh, September 13th of 2017, and I weaned her off of the oxygen completely in December. I think it was December 21st is when she was completely weaned off. So she was only on it for uh, about three months, but, and it was only on it because she, oxygen is a form of medicine and she had been on it so long, her body felt that it needed it, but she, re it really didn't. She just had been used to having it and she relied on it. So that, that's what we had to wean her off. So how long was she in the hospital in total from the time she was born? 120 days. 120 days. Wow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how are you managing your life? Because you had two two other kids at home. Yep. And you're a single mother. How are you managing that? So how it started was once I came home, which was a hard time leaving her in the hospital and I because I had to, you know, they were I couldn't stay. They had to discharge me. <laughs> so oh. My routine was that I would get up, I would get the boys off to school. And thank goodness school was only another like three weeks because she was born in May. So school was only another like month or so. So I would get the boys off to school and then I would go to the hospital. And then I would, as Araya didn't need to be picked up from his aftercare until 6.30. So I would stay 
And Isaiah was a teenager, so he... Yeah, he was a teen. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have to really worry about him, but it was more like Azariah getting him from aftercare. So I would pick him up from aftercare, go home, make dinner, and then get ready to go back to the hospital, tell Isaiah to, you know, make sure he gets in the bed by 8.30 because I need to be back at the hospital by 9 for her 9 o'clock cares because she would have her cares every four hours. And here you are driving all the way to Fairfax Hospital, 45 minutes one way. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yep, and I really wasn't supposed to have been driving because my body wasn't, you're not supposed to drive for like two weeks after you have this infection. I wasn't taking any pain medicine because I needed to be coherent to drive. So I was only taking ibuprofen. And I just put that little binder thing on where I wrapped it really tight so I could, you know, my insides felt like they weren't going to fall out. And oh, <laughs> drove to the hospital and the nurses were like, we just freaking had a baby three days ago. And I like, I know, but I, I mean, I have to be here. So, so that was kind of, that was hard until school was over. Azariah graduated from preschool. So I made it to his graduation. Uh, as soon as the graduation was over, I went back to the hospital and then the, then the summer hit. So then I was like relieved because, you know, school was out and I didn't have to worry about trying to make sure everybody was at school and all of that. So thank God it wasn't like the, in the beginning of the school year where, you know, it was towards the end. So it wasn't like I had to do that much. And Azariah was in preschool. So it wasn't like he was actually in, in kindergarten or anything. It was Isaiah that was in school and he was a teenager. So it was a, it was a little different. Yeah, it was hard. And then I went back to work three weeks before she came home. And I didn't tell anybody at my job when I was working because I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me. So I just did my job. And then when they told me that she was going to, cause they only give you like a two to three day, like heads up when, as, as when they're going to get ready to discharge. Cause there's like a, a process that the baby has to go through. They have to pass a car seat test. They have to not have any uh, Brady's or uh, Ticardias where their heart rate drops before below 60 in order for them to go home. If they, it's a five day thing. And if they, if one of those events happens, then the five days starts all over again. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So they told me like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to discharge her. And that's when I told my boss, I was like, Hey, so I have to tell you something. And he's like, are you free? I was like, are you sitting? I need you to sit down. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, so I had baby Nick and he's like, oh, and I haven't, there's no way you have a baby in the NICU. There's no way. And I was like, yeah. So I need to be home for a while. Cause I need to find a, a nanny because she couldn't go into regular daycare. So I had to find a nanny that would be come to my house and take care of her because she, again, she was on oxygen and he, someone that could, could knew how to work that. And, and it was only, you know, such a awesome thing that happened was that one of her primary nurses, she was leaving the state and her nanny was available. So she ended up taking care of Savannah. Oh uh, so I didn't even really need to, yeah, I didn't need to do too much, you know, like I thought I was stressed out about that, but then I didn't have to do that because that was a life that she went, you know, um, because obviously you take, you know, you take care of a NICU mom's babies. I'm pretty sure you know what you're doing. So. <laughs> wow. What a godsend. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I didn't have to worry about that. And so I was only out of work for like a, we were working from home for a week and then I went back to work and, you know, and, and would come home to her and, check in during the day. I would get pictures and stuff about her during the day. She was really, really good with Savannah. So yeah, that was, and I, you know, I camped out in the living room. I didn't sleep in my bed at all for the first, like, 
at least five or six months till she came home from the hospital because it was just so overwhelming and she had so many appointments and she had physical therapy and these specialists that she had attend because she had the eye surgery. So I had to make sure she went to her appointments and they were every two weeks. And it was just a lot of appointments, a lot of keeping track of her specialist and the de- in her development and having to report write down. And Oh my goodness, it was a lot. So, and now she's, how old is she now? She is three years old now. And she's thriving and she's healthy and she beat all the odds. Yes. Yep. She's all caught up uh, with her development. She graduated from speech uh, right before COVID. Uh, we were all where we all had to be put in shelter in place. She graduated the week before, literally. She's been a complete like everything they said that was going to happen did not. And thank God. But it wasn't it definitely wasn't an easy road. I tell you that. So. It wasn't easy. It wasn't road, what but they said, is, you know. But it I, definitely wasn't easy. Right. I mean, I say I have a miracle baby simply because I was told I would never have a baby without medical mm-hmm. assistance, and I did. And he's my miracle. But Savannah is the epitome of a miracle <laughs> baby. <laughs> she is. I mean, she talk is. about that she fighting is. spirit. Wow. Yeah. She does, and, and Diva, she, they 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 dubbed her Diva of the Garden because she was really she had a she was very sassy, very in the NICU. So we should have, you know, we all knew that it was going to like carry on because she was very like they would. She kept those nurses on their P's and Q's, and they were joking with me because once they a, a great milestone as a NICU mom is when you are able to put clothes on them because they're naked for most of the time. So, uh, well, not naked, but they have their uh, diaper on, but no other clothes. So once they tell you, hey, we're ready for them to wear clothes, you're excited. Like you go out and fly about all these preemie clothes and you have to bring them in. You have to put them in a bag. And and what I would do was label the outfits I wanted her in every day. And they were, her nurses were, they thought that it was like, that they were scared. So like one day I came in and the outfit that I had for her, they had to change her because she like, she had a, a blowout and it like messed up the outfit. So they're like, before you, before you come in, she's got a different outfit on. I'm like, are you guys there? Like, it's not that big of a deal, but they were like, she's got a different outfit on. We're sorry. <laughs> they're, like, <laughs> they're, they're scared of you. They're like, I know. Uh, <laughs> like, it's okay. They're like, I, we know you put it out. Cause I literally label Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and her bows. Cause I would put bows on the outside of her, her, her breathing apparatus and stuff. Aww. So it oh was, gosh. it was, they, yeah. And they knew that. So they were like, we're, she doesn't have on what you, what you put out, <laughs> but she did have it on. Just, she doesn't have it on right now. But yeah, that was, that was pretty, that was neat that, that from when she was able to wear clothes. But oh my gosh. now, uh, this thing she says and does everything she wants, you know, she, she knows her name, her full name. She knows I say her full name and her numbers, her colors, just, just, Everything. I mean, it's just amazing every day, the things that she absorbs in her head, the things that she recognizes. I mean, I, so Paris is a theme in my room and I have Eiffel Towers everywhere around in my room. It's, it's in the clock. It's in, I have a stand over there. It's all over. It's everywhere. It's my bathroom. It's everywhere. So I did not tell her, I did not teach her about Paris at all. And one night I, cause I have a, I have a, a painting behind, right, right above my, my bed and it has the Eiffel Tower on it. And she's like, mommy, tower, tower. And at first I didn't understand what she was saying. I thought she said, I thought she was saying towel. And I was like, where, there's no towel, Savannah. 
And she's like, no, 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 tower, tower. I'm like, oh my God, someone must have told her that was an Eiffel Tower. I did not, I did, it wasn't me. <laughs> I know it wasn't me. So I'm like, who, who told her that that was Eiffel Tower? Because it certainly wasn't me. I'm pretty sure I would remember if I told her that. All right. Well, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we split this interview into two parts. So the second part of the interview will be released next Friday. All of my episodes are released on Fridays because I want to set the tone so that you have good vibes going into the weekend. So if you want to check out Londa on Facebook and Instagram, uh, just look up Londa's Laboratory. Her website is londaslaboratory.com. My website is sandyscarlotta.com and my book, Happiness Solved, Climbing 100 Steps is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And thank you again for listening. And I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and that your life is filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Until next time, take care. up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.